you open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. There are multiple focuses in the first chapter of Colossians 1. We've focused on the authority of Jesus Christ the last three weeks, which is known from Genesis to Revelation. And Paul emphasizes it. He begins this letter by being thankful for a body of believers that he's never met. That the testimony of their love for Christ and their love for each other has reached 1,400 miles from Colossae to Paul's house arrest in Rome. And he is writing them a letter, and it, it is unique in that it can be a letter to us directly like all of Paul's letters because he is writing to a, a body of believers he's never met. Um, and as far as we know, may never have met. Um, but he applies the principles and includes them in the church as a whole and addresses them as an individual church with instructions. Um, let's pray before we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word and we look as a church to become more of a church that you have designed and called us to. Help us to um, take what we learn today and to build this church on the principles that Paul has been given from your son to give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pick it up in verse 20 today, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 and read right in through verse 22, where Paul addresses them with the authority of Christ that we've been studying. The son, meaning Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So as he gives us, a, once again, the authority of Christ, the supremacy in everything in heaven and on earth. So he is the one in heaven who can open the scrolls. He's the only one. He's the one on earth who is the head of the church, the only one. He is the one who rules over rulers that don't want him to and rules over rulers that do want him to. He rules over them all. He has supremacy. So while the Father is the first in the order of things, the name of Jesus is the first in authority of things because he created everything, because he purchased everything, and because in him all things are held together. Every part of you, every part of everything is held together in the Son. And Paul is explaining that this is so, so that God the Father can reconcile all things to himself. Things in heaven, things on earth, good, evil, everything. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is explaining there that God is at work, he's making the earth, people on the earth, the heavens, everything, um, to be the footstool for his son. So when it is complete is Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, when he judges the lost, which Peter explains to us, while that's happening, he is refurbishing the earth, the new city of Jerusalem is about to come down. When death is defeated, everything has come 
into reconciliation with the Father. So reconciliation of all things, everyone, everywhere, is the goal of God that he is explaining. Um, turn to chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, as we just read that he is doing this reconciliation through the blood on the cross, and he has explained to us that we were enemies of God because of our evil behavior until we repented. Verse 13 of chapter 2 when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So he is further explaining what we just read in chapter 1, that through the blood of Christ on the cross, he can reconcile all things. He can reconcile every human being that repents. As soon as they do that, they come into a relationship with him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So God the Father becomes our Father, our Abba, that, um, that word Old Testament and New in Aramaic that is the same. He is our Daddy. He is our Father. He is the good Father that we just sang about. Turn to... Um, Romans chapter 5, as in each of Paul's letters, he describes this reconciliation and the gospel is what he is describing in Colossians 1, that he described this transition from Romans 3.19 through Romans 4.25 and then he is saying that if this is you, if God's kindness did lead you to repentance, then he's addressing you as a member of the family in chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, the peace that he's talking about in Colossians 1, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when, he, when Jesus Christ becomes our Lord Jesus Christ, we have justification, we have reconciliation, we have redemption. Verse 2 through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So he's going to explain later in this chapter that it is through the hope of the glory of Jesus Christ that we have endurance, that we have strength, that we have hope. And he's explaining here in Romans the, in Romans, the significance of the access to the Father. That no human being... Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there's one Father, and there's one mediator, and you can't have either without having the Son as your Lord, and once you do, you gain access to the Father. So when Jesus died on the cross at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 14th day of Nisan at the exact Time, the exact day and the exact month that the lambs were slaughtered in Egypt at the first Passover, Jesus expired on the cross and one of many things that happened was this enormous curtain in the temple tore in two. That the Holy of Holies was now accessible to human beings. Before that moment, only the high priest, only once a year, could go into the place where God dwelt. Paul says in Romans 5.1 that since we have been justified, we have peace with God, and we've gained access through this faith. So when we pray to our Father in heaven, it is the access that was gained through the cross. And Paul calls that reconciliation. So the word that we will see multiple times, reconciliation, in the Greek means that, and it means rebirth, um, repurchased, brought back, made right, that because God who is perfect created Adam and Eve in a perfect state and they sinned and therefore we have a propensity to sin and we sin, our relationship with God is enemy we've read in Colossians 1, and that can change when we make Christ our Lord. And I don't think that we can over-appreciate access to God the Father 
because of reconciliation through the Son. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, where Paul has been talking about his own journey in chapter 3, giving his own testimony. And in verse 20 of Philippians chapter 3, speaking of this reconciliation, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait, eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, Colossians 1, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So Paul says, since you have been justified, your citizenship is heaven. What is your spiritual address if you're a Christ follower? It is heaven. It is the place that God the Father dwells. That is our identification card. So we will enter heaven one day through the blood of Jesus Christ as a follower, having gained access to heaven. Paul says this will conclude when our bodies are made like his glorious body and we are with him forever Paul is teaching about the rapture there. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Maybe the, the primary few verses of reconciliation which we are studying in Colossians 1. In 2 Corinthians 5, it is talking about the resurrection of Christ followers that um, if you look in verse 11, the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, this, this responsibility given to those who have been reconciled, that you are reconciled for a purpose. We are citizens of heaven, and we are fixed on the one who is from heaven, but our responsibilities are down here, and it is called the ministry of reconciliation. So in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ? Is he your Lord? If you are, he says, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here! Exclamation mark. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, world, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul talks about this amazing reality in verse 17 that if you are in Christ, then you've been reconciled. And what you were isn't part of who you are, it's gone. The new is here. And then he goes on, the reason the new is here and you haven't just been called up to heaven because you are saved is because the ministry of reconciliation to the world is your responsibility. So we are ministers of reconciliation as Christ followers. We are to be to the world the leaders of leading people to Christ who can be reconciled to the Father. So we weren't saved to wait till he comes, we were saved to reconcile the world to Christ. So in Colossians 1, Paul has already said, God did this so that he would reconcile everything in heaven and everything on earth to his Son. And he says here in verse 20 that we are therefore his ambassadors. We are his voice. We are his visible followers on earth so that it is as if God the Father who sent his Son was reaching into the world through us. So it's not going to be a voice or a radio station or a church that is God's plan primarily to reach the lost. It is going to be you and it's going to be me. 
We are Christ's ambassadors. So he begins in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So what qualifies me to tell anyone about Christ being in Christ? In other words, if you're in Christ, you had to learn for yourself how that would take place. That you would confess Christ Jesus as your Lord. If he has become your Lord Jesus Christ, as we just read, then you are in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, and your purpose is to be an ambassador for Christ. That where you are in your part of the world, in your part of the church, in your part of this life, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Um, let's go back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. So Paul is going to stress, he has a specific purpose for the letter of Colossians, but he is going to stress the same things. We are talking about the gospel in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to you, to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So how do you bring reconciliation to the world? It's not our voice primarily. Our voice is important. We have to know how to explain to a person to come to Christ. But it is my life that he wants to change. And if he can change my life, my position will change in the world. If I love people the way Christ loves people, I will be a person that is accessed, that people will turn to, that when Peter says, always be ready to give an answer, if I just walk out on a street corner in Mendota and I'm ready to give an answer, it's unlikely that someone will come up and say, what is the answer to life? But if I am, the old is gone, the new has come, an ambassador for Christ, and that's how I live my life with the awareness that everyone around me is my mission field, then Paul says, if you continue in that faith, if you hold to the hope held out in the gospel, if you allow God to change you in front of people, then you will need to be ready to give answers because questions will come your way. If you love people unconditionally, questions will come your way. In your notes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And he is using that title, kyrios. You are working for your master, your Lord, and your work for him is never in vain. It feels like it sometimes, it feels like it's harder than it's worth sometimes. And Paul wants to remind us in those moments, it's never in vain. Regardless of the response, the situation, the circumstances, it pleases him and you will be rewarded. In fact, Jesus says in the Beatitudes that the highest reward is when you're the most persecuted. When it feels the most uncomfortable to represent Christ, you will re be receiving the highest rewards. Turn to Ephesians 6. Paul is telling us to stand firm in Colossians 1.23. We just read that in 1 Corinthians. In Ephesians 6, verse 10, this is familiar, we were here not long ago. Finally, as we are being sent out by Paul here as ambassadors for Christ, church builders, Ephesians, submitting to the head of the church, Colossians, here in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. 
Our struggle, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. And he tells us to put on this armor of God, which is literally putting on the word of God, putting on the characteristics of Christ. Being an ambassador for Christ means being more like Christ every day. Um, we talked about Christ in Sunday school, and I think that Christ, if he walked through Mendota, he would be the most popular person in Mendota. That doesn't mean that everyone in Mendota would follow him, but everyone in Mendota would be drawn to him. So everyone would want to hear what he has to say. Because, and maybe as it is in the scriptures, everyone except religious leaders would want to hear what he has to say. Because no matter what part of your life is your skeleton, he would move past it to say, I love you. And that led him to be listened to by enormous crowds coming from small towns, people traveling for days because they knew that he was genuine. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, you're studying that in Sunday school. We remember before God our Father, your um, labor or your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says in Colossians 1, if you continue in this faith, work. And he's talking about love being the source for labor and the hope that we will be with Christ forever. Philippians 3.21, he's going to make our glorious bodies like his glorious body and we will be with him forever. That's where perseverance is drawn from knowing where I will be ultimately is the source of I can get through this. This is difficult, it is hard, but I can get through it. Back to Colossians 1 and verse 24. Actually, I want to just take one second to look at verse 23 again because Paul says something interesting here. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The reason I had Justine read Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, is because that's what Paul's talking about here. He says that every creature under heaven has heard the gospel. So he's talking about the gospel of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So everything is carried forward. So the gospel was first spoken by God before there were human beings, with human beings in mind. When he set this glorious stage of creation in place, he was doing it to proclaim who he is. So it literally says in this verse 23 that the gospel has, in this Greek word, everything in creation has seen the gospel when you see the glory of the work of Almighty Son of God, you're seeing the handiwork of Christ. And the purpose of that, just think about it, it was the purpose of that, and only that, for 1,700 years before Moses picked up his quill to begin to write, it always was initiated with creation. So people like Abraham, people like Noah, people like Abel came to faith, people like Enoch, through creation. So Solomon writes that he has made everything beautiful in its time and he has placed eternity in the hearts of men. So Paul says in this verse, everything, 
the animals see God's gospel. And every person, he has placed eternity in their hearts. So to the animals and to everything in creation, it is a different stepping up with human beings when he causes them to see what he has done and to contemplate where they will spend eternity. And Paul addresses that, verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul is confessing to us here from a prison cell in Rome, 1,400 miles away in this case to Colossae, that I fully accept this. I fully understand my role. I fully realize that what I am writing is not from me, it's from Jesus Christ, and it is me writing for the purpose that you will read it, that you will hear about it, that you will understand. So um, 1 John 3.16, we understand that what he is calling us to do the, the sacrificing of ourselves. He says, this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to do it for each other. Paul says in verse 24, I accept that. That the body of Christ, including you, Colossae, that I have never met, I accept that I'm in prison so that the gospel can make its way to you. Accepted. Praise the Lord, Paul says. And he's telling them that many miles away. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul is explaining to us that it's been granted to us by God to share in the suffering of Christ. One of the reasons that people would have accepted Christ is because it was never about him and that causes suffering immediately when you make your life about others. But it also points us to what we were designed for. Verse 27 of Philippians 1. He is challenging them there just like he is in Colossians 1, writing this letter in the same imprisonment. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you, this is what he's saying to Colossae, stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So when Paul went to Philippi and he presented the gospel, they stripped him naked, beat him with rods, and put him in a dungeon. And Paul says, it's been granted to you, Philippi, to follow, to do whatever it takes. They would have realized personally that that torture of Paul led to more people being saved in Philippi than his preaching did when he was preaching and they arrested him. The gospel became real in Philippi when they said, Paul, if you don't shut your mouth, we are going to punish you, we are going to imprison you, and we are going to torture you. And Paul kept preaching. And when they locked him in a cell, he began singing. And when he began singing, all of the prisoners listened. And when the chains were broken and the, the gates were open and everyone was free to go, nobody left. Think about it. If Paul would have just sat there and prayed to be delivered, they would have all left. 
but because Paul's presentation of who Jesus Christ is, and he tells us here to live a life worthy of the gospel, Paul did that. Paul says, join me. It's been granted to you to demonstrate that you follow Christ. And the more difficult the demonstration is, the more people will watch. So it's not as though God chooses torture for his followers, but he chooses people who will follow him anywhere. And those are the people that will be listened to and have the questions that they need to give answers for. Turn to Acts chapter 14. Paul has just been stoned to death and he is going back to preach to those same places. And when he came back, after they had seen what happened to Paul, Timothy would have been one of them that would have seen it. In Acts 14, verse 21, when they came back to those churches, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. People that saw Paul tortured turned in large numbers. You want to be tortured like Paul? No. Do you want to have what he has with God? Yes, we do, the jailer said to Paul. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So Paul is explaining there after he's just been beaten to death and they gather around him and pray and he still would have had the gruesome marks of a stoning and he would go back into Lystra where they stoned him and say, that's okay, follow Christ with me. You don't enter into the kingdom as a servant of the kingdom without expecting and anticipating to suffer. So Paul in Romans 12.10 says that we have to honor one another above ourselves and love others above ourselves. So back to Colossians chapter 1, as he is challenging this church to do the same, in verse 25 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes, I have become its servant, and that is the body of Christ, the gospel. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. So again, he's explaining in verse 25, I'm in a prison cell in Rome, 1,400 miles away from you, knowing that God's purpose is for me to be in this prison cell, to be writing this letter, so that the fullness of the, the gospel message in Colossae, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, could be read and preserved in your church. I accept that, he he's telling them. That's my role, he's telling them. In your notes there, in Acts chapter 22, when he was on trial and he's giving his testimony, this is what he was told by Christ. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Imagine what that statement would have sounded like to Paul. What do you mean, all people? You mean all the people that I'll meet, right? No. You mean all the people whose towns I travel through, right? No. Well, what do you mean, Lord? All people. So Paul's letters in God's plan would be that his letters would reach the world. And he's telling Colossae, I understand now that that's my role, that that's what Jesus meant when I would be his witness to all people, that I would send letters to churches like Mendota, Illinois, that he knew nothing about, but he knew that we would receive his letters. He knew that that was God's purpose for him. Verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's a summary verse of the gospel that we are ambassadors for. What is different about you than any other religion? Well, Christ Jesus lives in me, and he's the only hope of glory. He's the only great God and Savior, Titus 2.13, that can reconcile me to God, to heaven, and to glory. And I would like to explain to you how he has done that in me, and I would like to explain to you how he will do that for you, and how he died to prove that he would do that for you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Turn to Romans chapter 5, where Paul is taking this same transition. We just read there in verses 1 and 2 that since we have been justified, we have gained access by this faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul is saying the exact same things as in his letter to the Romans about four years earlier, and he's explaining theologically and in the gospel this transition and how it happens. He has been explaining sufferings to Colossae and to Philippi and to all the places he writes. Verse 3 of Romans 5, Not only so, not only so do we boast in the hope of the glory of God, verse 2, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul says there's a progression. When suffering comes and you don't run and you stay in it, you don't feel like staying. The support around you isn't to stay, but you stay. Then character and perseverance become a part of you. And Paul says, when you stay when it's hard to stay, and you learn to persevere, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, that perseverance comes from hope in the glory of God. That's where perseverance, staying, comes from. So Paul says, when you stay, you realize hope more than you ever could. So people in the Bible that really understood, do you know who the person is that says, I know that my Redeemer lives? Who said that in the Bible? Job. He says at the end of the book of Job, in chapter 42 and verse 5, before I had heard of you, but now I've seen you. So we don't have to go out and look for suffering, but we can know that if it's difficult right now to follow Christ, and I do, perseverance will come. Character will come. And Paul says, those things will lead you to a place where you will never be disappointed because the Holy Spirit has poured this hope of the glory of God, Christ in you, and if you stay when it's difficult to stay, you will never be in a place where you will realize hope more. It is really the things that push us to our limits that push us closer to hope. And Paul is, among other things, telling us if we will do that, people will see Christ in us. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as he is explaining these things to the church in Corinth, a now-repented church in Corinth. So he talks about jars of clay in this chapter, um, and the, the picture there for Paul, what a jar of clay was to Paul, is they would make pots and jars to put water and grape juice and whatever they stored in, 
and the ones that they, they made and they were weak, they weren't, they weren't going to be good because they're probably going to leak because they have weak spots in it. They would use those for lamps. So they would put lights in them and the weaknesses and the cracks in the pot would emit light out into the room. That's what we are. If, if our weaknesses, if we stay, light will show through us like jars of clay. And he drops down to the end of this chapter, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, Romans 12, 2. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is temp seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says if, if we stay, if, if we continue, if we realize all this is wasting away, I'm wasting away, this is difficult. Paul writes the, the song that, that, that we sing out of this, that um, I'm desperate but not destroyed, all of those things. Paul says if we stay and we fix our eyes on heaven instead of what we are experiencing, Stephen, um, the Bible tells us that when he's dealing with the Pharisees who are refuting him and furious with him, that his face glowed. That, that they could see the glory of God on Stephen. And it, the Bible tells us that, that when they are stoning him to death and he is looking up to heaven, he sees Jesus. And he says to Jesus, forgive them, they don't understand what they're doing. So Paul is explaining this principle that we need to know that when it gets the hardest and it gets the darkest and everything's pushing against us, if we will stay and if we will fix our eyes on Christ, we will see him better from this earth than any other time. That the I hope changes to my hope. And that my hope, as you turn to Hebrews chapter 6, is what we have to be focused on to persevere and to stay when it's really hard to stay. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, writing to heavily persecuted messianic Jews, followers of Jesus Christ, he says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inter inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this hope of the glory of God, which is Christ in you, fix on that. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. Keep your eyes on that, knowing full well that all that you see is temporary and all that you're fixed on is eternal. And know that when you fix your eyes on Him, when it's difficult, you will develop character and perseverance. And out of the character and perseverance, hope comes to you like a flood. So that... I remember in 2000, a, a preacher who I found out later was being attacked in his church going through a really hard time and he's preaching this passionate message about Paul and he's, he's contemplating Paul walking to the guillotine, recognizing someone he hasn't shared the gospel with yet and he's sharing it with them, telling them how glorious it will be to be with Christ one day. And that would have like Stephen, lifted him to see hope and glory rather than a guillotine. It's difficult to understand how Job can say, I heard about you before, but now I've seen you. I know what you were like. I had heard what you were like. I lived my life in response to what I heard. I was faithful, 
I shunned evil, I stood for righteousness, but now I know you. I know what you're like. Turn back to Colossians chapter 1. As Paul closes this chapter with a mission statement for all churches. Verse 28. He, Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So he's already explained to us that it is the body of Christ that he suffers for. I accept that, Paul says. I welcome that. I'm in this prison cell and my heart is overflowing onto pages that are going to people that I've never seen. That's my role. I accept it. I will stay here. I will do this. I will do whatever he asks me to do. And he says here specifically, what do I mean? What do you mean, Paul, when you say you're doing this for the body of Christ? What's that got to do with spreading the gospel and being ambassadors and suffering in the hope of glory? Paul is explaining, as he does in all of his letters, that the plan of God is to change the world through local bodies of believers. And what has to happen in order for that to happen is that he has to have full permission to change a body of believers. So we teach and admonish everyone, Paul says. No one left behind. We come together. Paul says in Ephesians that if we come together the way he has designed us to come together, then we will know how how high and how deep, how wide and how long is the love of Christ. That's the only place that can be discovered on earth is in a body of believers that is being taught, admonished, encouraged, growing together. Um, We should be a church that not being a living sacrifice is out of place. We should be a church that stands together Always. And if we are that church, Paul is explaining that everyone will be mature in Christ. And Paul is saying from his prison cell, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ has so powerfully at work in me. So Paul is saying, I'm going to write in your case, Colossi, in your case, Mendota, I'm going to write what God's plan is on paper. Understand, in Paul's explanation to each of these churches, these aren't my words. I'm the ambassador sent by the one who gave me these words. So these words have enough power power behind them, this dynamis power, that sending you this letter is sending Jesus Christ to you. And if you accept that, if you're willing to go beyond we care about each other to teaching each other, admonishing each other, encouraging each other that we don't all have to be mature today, but we all have to be maturing today. And in a place like that, God can change the world. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, where Paul is still driving this point home, and he's saying, if you're in Christ, like we read earlier, verse 3, or verse 1 of chapter 3, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you, will also, you also will appear with him in glory, referring to his second coming and to the rapture there. Paul is saying, what I need to hear today and tomorrow and the next day is that the difficult things that involve this earth, that involve the people in the world, that involve the people in my church, those difficult things have to always answer the question, what does Christ want in this situation? What is he expecting? Paul says, therefore, since you have found yourself hidden in Christ, then it is him that you are concerned about. It is him that is the reason why you take the next step. It is him that if I focus on him, I do things differently. If I focus on church and everyone around me, I am encouraged often by the people in this church. But if I focus on them in making my decisions, I will ultimately make decisions that please them no matter what. Does that make sense? If I am focused on Christ, I will be better for them than if I am focused on them. So we have to do that together. Paul says for this reason in Colossians 1, he strenuously contends for the church. He lives, breathes, suffers, and is willing to do anything for the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, help us to have the attitude of Christ which Paul carries with him. Help us to not love each other less, but to love each other more and to always love each other with what is best for Christ in mind so that we will be more like him, so that encouraging and teaching and admonishing won't be a fear. Um, it will be a support system that will lead us to a mature church that would change this community. In Jesus' name, amen.